Welcome back to the Better Than a Founded podcast. This is Mikkel, the assistant men's golf coach at Baylor, and I'm joined by Coach McGraw today. How are you, Coach? Doing great, Mikkel. How are you doing today? I'm uh, doing good. We uh, have a another topic episode this week. Um, we do this from time to time, and uh, this one we'll call Earning It. It's uh, something that you have been thinking about, and you and I have been discussing this topic back and forth a lot. Um, and it's not a coincidence that we wanted to do this in 2021 because it's a kind of a special year for you when you look back on memory lane, isn't it? Well, it really is. Mikhail, thanks for uh, presenting that. The, it was 50 years ago this year that I went to work for my dad at the Ponca City Country Club, and I didn't think about that until just recently. It's been a little over 50 years because it was in April when I went to work for him. So 50 years, 50 summers ago, I started... Uh, playing junior golf tournaments on a real regular basis, but I also started earning that money to do that. And my dad gave me that opportunity. So I'll back up a little bit to the summer of 1970. I had just taken up the game, wasn't playing tournament golf for sure. And my dad had me ride over to Tulsa with him and my brother. So my brother was playing in the J. Myers Memorial and at Meadowbrook. And as I watched my brother compete in that golf tournament, I was mad at my dad. <laughs> And he was like, why did why don't I get to do this? This is something I would love to do. And so I told him on the way home, I was really upset that he hadn't let me play. He says, well, Michael, you weren't ready for this. Next summer, you'll be playing in all these tournaments. So I didn't give it much thought and went into the school year. And um, April came around, and that's my birthday, April 18th. Mm-hmm. And what do you think happened there? <laughs> he gave me some money. Yeah. And, you know, $25 in 1971 was like... A, that was a windfall for an 11-year-old kid. And so I was really thrilled that I had $25. Didn't know what I would do with $25. But he said, uh, we're going to go open up a bank account for you tomorrow. And he didn't open up a savings account. He opened up a checking account. So I thought that was, I didn't know what a checking account was. but he, For an 11-year-old. For an 11-year-old. Yeah. That, that's kind of crazy. It's 1971, by the way. Yeah. But then we had a discussion afterwards. He said, Michael, you've been telling me you want to play in a lot of tournaments this coming summer. Oh, yes, Dad, I definitely want to do that. He said, well, get with your brother Tim, and you guys make a spreadsheet of all the tournaments you like to play in, all the entry fees, all the costs attached to every single tournament, and give me a grand total. And I said, okay. And my dad had already teed up my brother to do this, and he knew exactly what to do. And so... We kind of worked through it, and we figured out this was the total amount that it would cost. Well, I only had $25. He said, well, you know what? You only have 25 to start with, but we're going to let you start working at the golf course. So, cool. yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Uh, so I got the opportunity to uh, clean golf clubs, store bags, uh, wash carts, sweep out the cart barn, pick up range balls, fill the candy machine, fill the Coke machine, sweep the carpet, vacuum the carpet, clean the bathrooms, uh, clean the windows, the big plain glass windows that overlook the parking lot. I did every job possible to earn money. And I did this during the school year to earn money to play in those junior tournaments. So I obviously know the story from from uh, earlier, knowing you real well. So you, your dad made you keep a track of a budget and then save for the budget and earn all the money. And this was obviously back in 1970, so it was different times than now, but you actually made 
every dime for yourself to travel in a summer schedule playing golf. Right. I mean, you couldn't do it today. There's no parent that could say, sure. little Jimmy, I want you to work all school year and earn the money. It, you just couldn't earn enough money and still go to school and still practice. But in those days, it didn't cost very much. It was $4 for an entry fee for a junior tournament. It was, you know, 30 cents for a hamburger. It was, I mean, you, you could start doing the math. It didn't cost very much. But my dad... This was twofold for my dad, and I know why it was. One, he got a pretty good hand, you know, pretty good working hand at the golf course because if I messed up at work, <laughs> when I went home, the boss was at home, so I had to do a good job. But sure. Um, but he also uh, taught me through his example and my mom as well of what mm-hmm. hard work looked like. They mm-hmm. had to work hard. They were raising seven children. Don't you think that's the main thing you took out of that experience, like looking back all the way from now? All those little things you learn about keeping a budget, working hard for your money, or, you know, knowing the value of work and that kind of stuff. I, I believe 100% that was the case. I also know I never thought about giving up in a golf tournament. Yeah. It was my money that it, and paid that entry fee. I wasn't giving up. And uh, I didn't take it for granted that I was getting to play. And remember, he still let me off to go to those tournaments in the summer. Yeah. But, you know, a couple other things he did that above and beyond getting a budget and earning the money to begin with, I had to do be my own travel agent. I had to find parents of other kids because my mom and dad were working. They couldn't go to the tournaments. So I had to find parents or people, other people, to help get me to those tournaments. And so I might have to ride a bus from uh, Ponca City to some friend of mine and then take that family friend in their, in their, with their parents in a car to the tournament and then they'd get me back and then I'd find a way home. Didn't know how I did it. I remember going, <laughs> the, the, hour, the drive was supposed to be only two hours from Ponca City to Oklahoma City for the state junior one year. And I rode a bus and it took four and a half hours because they stopped in every little Oklahoma town all the way. But I got to Oklahoma City and I got to play in the, in the Oklahoma City junior. And I would also have friends in those towns and I would stay with their families, but I was my own travel agent. I was my own financier. I, I got the money and I created a schedule for myself. I realized all the tournaments were small tournaments in small towns in Oklahoma so we could make it happen. But I thought it was a great job. I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know one that none of my friends were doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know too that, um, that uh, it was a hardship. It wasn't a hardship. It was an opportunity. Yeah. So, what, a, what an awesome way to learn a lot of things. But I know you did a couple other things, too, um, because I've heard your stories. Uh, <laughs> I do tell stories. Here and there. Uh, and I know you caddied quite a bit as well to, um, to make it a buck. You know, if my dad said, well, you've got the afternoon off, and if Roger Brown or Paul Walker, they were two really good amateur players. Roger was a, a former Oklahoma State All-American. And Paul was a dentist in town, and both of them were scratch golfers or plus, you know, better. And I, I, t- I tell this story. I caddied for Roger 19 times at the Punk City Country Club. Mm. He shot 73, was the worst score he ever shot. And Paul was not quite as good a player, but he was very, very good. And he could shoot in the 60s pretty regularly. So I learned so much from those men just watching adults play the game, especially yeah. guys that play well. Yeah. And um, I don't know what I got paid. It wasn't very much. Yeah, and well documented. You you actually caddied for Mike Holder as well when he when he came to town for that. I did caddy for Mike Holder. He yeah. a couple of things on that story. One, I I wanted to impress Mike Holder because of the golf coach at Oklahoma State. I was only fourteen. Sure. And 
uh, unfortunately, I accidentally let an, an additional club get put in his bag <laughs> on the practice range, and he had a two-shot penalty on the first hole. He went on to shoot a course record 64 that day, ended up winning the golf tournament next day and paid me $100, which is a lot of money in 1974 or whatever it was. Um, but I did caddy for, my, or for Mike when he came and played in that uh, tournament. So I, I love that. I also shag golf balls. So we didn't have a range where you'd have a range drag pick up the balls. We would usually have three or four buckets of balls sold per day. And I would go with the member down to the range, and then I would stand out there mm. 85 yards, 100 yards, 150 yards, and finally... Be the live target. That would be the live target. I actually got hit one time where it knocked me out. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, I did. And uh, But I shagged two to three... Two to three buckets of balls a day, maybe yeah. some weeks, ten or twelve buckets of balls. No, no big deal. That was great. It, now, when we got a range with a range drag, if my dad sold fifteen or twenty buckets, you'd multiply that times thirty bucket balls per bucket. I had to come back with that many golf balls, or he charged me thirty three cents out of my <laughs> out of my uh, salary per ball. Wow. So I was very intent on picking up every range ball. Those were just lessons my dad was teaching me. Yeah, it was a different era, I know, but. But it's also things that would be great to teach kids nowadays. Yeah. And so, anyway, I uh, I think, I know it's a different time. I know it's not the modern, that wasn't modern day, and you couldn't do it exactly. But I think you could do some of those things, personally. Yeah. And, I mean, because your whole tournament schedule was paid for with your own work, which would be borderline impossible today, especially if you're playing a national schedule and whatever. But the reason why we thought it might be a good podcast episode is because there's value to that work that your dad and your mom made you do and the way they made you earn uh, part and and uh, part of your own um, development and your own tournament schedule was your own investment. And so there's there's value to that today too. And we see examples of that every once in a while in recruiting or with kids we have on our team. Actually, I've got a couple of stories. Can you imagine me having a couple of stories? But one is uh, Ryan Blom, who's on the Corn Ferry Tour today. He's played the PGA Tour before, but Ryan was just a 15-year-old kid growing up in Coral Gables, Florida, and uh, he had was entered in the Junior Orange Bowl. And in those days, it was still a really huge event uh, mm-hmm. where a lot of the best players in the country played. But he was a local boy, so they gave him a spot in the tournament. And so... That morning, I see this kid hitting balls on the tee, and he looks really good, and he's young, you can tell. So I watched him play. He shot under par that day, and uh, I thought, I circled his name. I'm going to watch that kid. And then the, uh, after the, in the afternoon, the afternoon wave had already teed off, and I was watching kids hit balls, and there was Ryan Blom. He jumped in the range dragon, whipped out, picked up, picked up range balls, and put, dumped the range balls in the, player, where the areas where the players were hitting balls, and I thought, that's the kid I watched this morning play in the tournament. And I thought, he's working here. Well, I found out from the head pro that he was working on the range two or three days a week to get privileges so he could save his parents the money and so he could practice where he couldn't normally practice. So I, I te- when, before we had this podcast, I texted Ryan Blom himself just to see if my memory was correct. And I'd like to read that text. Yeah. Okay. Let's hear it. He says, Coach McGraw, wow, what a memory. That is accurate. While it certainly was for playing privileges, it was mostly for privileges to hit balls on the back tee of the range where it was good grass. 
The front was off of mats all the time, and I didn't like that. The head pro and teaching pro allowed me to hit back there if it helped clear the if I'd helped clear the range two or three nights a week. The goal is to always get better, right? I saw it as no a no brainer that practicing off good turf would help me, so I would do whatever I had to do in order to accomplish that. Honestly, twenty years later, nothing has changed. I still do what I have to in order to improve. The avenues look a little different, but the same goal is in mind. I just joined a club for the first time, but I did it for the privacy of being able to practice my my practice more effective. Things like meeting with a neurological company to see if breathing practices can help my brain function better while competing. Some people say they try to get 1% better every day. I try to get 0.01% better every day. That goes for golf, being a husband, father, spiritually. Those little steps feel like they aren't doing much, but after a year of doing it, you look back, you realize you just climbed a skyscraper. And I think about that. Ryan, yeah, he's talking about that. He hasn't changed, and that's why he's still playing pro golf today. But I was thinking about, I called Mike Holder from the Junior Orange Ball. I said, Mike, the same kid picking up range balls right now shot 71 this morning. This Mm -hmm. kid's got a great golf swing. We need to get this. He works Mm -hmm. for the privileges of playing golf out here. And that's impressive to us coaches to see that the guys or girls that you're recruiting is taking responsibility of their own development and having more ownership of it themselves, which uh, is probably why Ryan Blom, in addition to just playing well, rose high to your list on that. Oh, very much so. I, I just thought any kid that's willing to sacrifice that, it's not like a hardship or anything, but sure. it, it, he found a way to give himself a better way of practicing and playing free golf at the golf course. If it meant working two or three days a week at a golf course, he got yeah. it done. Yeah. What are uh, some other examples, Coach, of players that you've had in the kind of you know 2000s or 2010s that um, have taken some of this principle of earning it um, to their golf game? Well, one is Ian Davis. He was an All-American at Oklahoma State um, and originally a walk-on at Oklahoma State. And Ian had grown up in uh, Alabama, Went actually was from Birmingham, and in seventh Let's see, 7th, 8th, ninth. I think in the 8th grade, after the 8th grade, they moved to Oklahoma. I didn't know a thing about him. And I was at Oklahoma State, and I went to the state high school championship his freshman year, and I saw him, and I thought, that's a good-looking golf swing. He's going to be a good player. Circled his name, didn't give him much more thought. But over the next two or three years, I didn't ever see his name in a national tournament at all. Mm. Nothing. And I thought, that's odd. And so when it came down to actually recruiting him and having visits and talking on the phone and texting back and forth... uh, Finally, I just asked the question. I said, Ian, are you ever going to play a golf tournament outside the state of Oklahoma? He said, well, I'd love to. just can't afford it. Mm -hmm. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I actually mow lawns with my two little brothers to pay for all the junior tournaments I am playing in. And I felt like an idiot at that time. It was like, (laughs) that's a pretty good sacrifice to make. He, He mowed lawns a couple of days a week, all day long, so he could play golf the other five days and travel to tournaments. And he he was his own businessman, you know. Mm. His dad didn't arrange all that. He did it himself. Spoke your language right there. Oh, he spoke my language. So then I knew I got to get that guy. And it was almost too late because Ryan Hibble had just gotten the job at OU. (laughs) And I knew Ian was a big OU fan. And uh, luckily, Ian and I connected quite well. And I I just thought that was really good. Anybody would – I'm not going to call it a hardship or a true sacrifice, but he did give up something to get what he wanted. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty impressive. Yeah. And only if it's like, if it's part of it, those are, those are a couple good stories from 
semi-recent days, Ryan Blom and Ian Davis, of ways that parents can facilitate for this to happen. Something that you in your personal life feel like you've had exceptional value from and learned so much from. Um, I had similar experiences, but not to the extent that you had, obviously. And I completely concur that um, it's so cool to see when a kid has some ownership of what they're doing. And yeah, and like I was saying, I didn't want to come on here and preach today. I just wanted to present the concept that it's still available to parents. It's still available to kids to kind of create an avenue through hard work or create an avenue through a little bit of sacrifice to get what you want, whatever that is. And, you know, I, I look at another thing that it brings about is the gratitude. You're just so thankful to have the opportunity to do that. I never gave working for my parents a second thought like, oh, I can't believe I have to do this. It was like, they're giving me a chance mm -hmm. so that next summer I get to play all the golf tournaments I want. And I remember when I finally did get into that Junior Orange Bowl, I tried my sophomore year, they wouldn't let take me. I tried my junior year, they wouldn't take me. Finally, my senior year in high school, I got a, a – well, I had to get busy that fall because it was going to cost about $600 to make that trip. <laughs> Airplanes, cab rides every day, all the meals, the hotel, all the entry fee, all of that was about a, about a $600 uh, ticket and sure. all total. And so I had to make sure I worked pretty hard that fall to have that money didn't give it a second thought. I had to I had to arrange to get a ride to the Wichita, Kansas airport. My grandpa did that for me. Mm. So he was my cab ride all the way up to Wichita. <laughs> and that's how I got to Wichita to catch a flight to go wherever and end up at Coral Gables. Um, pretty thankful that I had that as an example. My mom and dad working very, very hard. So it, even though I was working hard, they were working as hard as I was. And I, I didn't realize how important it was that they were working that hard. We had seven kids in our family to raise. So just a good example. And it made, made me realize uh, that um, you don't take those things for granted. And so I, I look back on a, a time in the summer of 75 too, that I was, I was trying to prepare for the state junior and I wasn't playing very well. I mean, I was playing pretty poorly actually. And so I walked into the golf shop and, Usually, if I had a golf lesson with my dad, something good would come out of it. Frame of mind, attitude, rhythm, tempo, who, whatever. He wasn't going to give me a golf lesson and, and mess me up before I went. He was just going to kind of settle me down. So it was about four days before the tournament. Went in the golf shop and said, Dad, I need a golf lesson. I'm really, really struggling. Yeah, it's fine, Mike. Go up there and start hitting balls. Have I ever told you this story, Mikhail? I have heard it. <laughs> okay. Yes, I have. <laughs> well, hopefully the guests out there have it. Um, so... I went up to the range and started hitting balls, and I didn't know it at the time, but a salesman walked into the golf shop and spent a few minutes with my dad, and then, and then a disgruntled member, maybe the cart broke down or something happened on the golf course, so it took about 45 he, minutes. He got tied up. He got much. tied up. Yep. And that didn't matter to me, spoiled, rotten little kid that I was. He was like, <laughs> where is he? Where is he? And finally, he walks up to the tee. And I, he says, okay, Michael, start hitting some balls. So I started hitting some balls, and probably after five or six swings, he made a couple of suggestions, and I hit four or five more golf balls. And I wasn't hitting I was still hitting it poorly. And I kind of just tossed my club to the ground, and I just said, nothing you're telling me is working. And he just looked at me, didn't say a word, turned around and started walking back to the golf shop. Do you think I'm in trouble right now? <laughs> so I said, uh, oh, my gosh, I've just messed that up. I, so I, I kind of pleaded with him. I said, Dad, Dad, 
where are you going? And he turned around and he said, son, when I start swinging the club for you, I'll start taking the blame. He turned around and walked right to the golf shop. That was all he had to do to tell me that I was being an entitled little mm-hmm. brat. And it was like, you know, I took all the credit when I won a junior trophy and he got all the blame when I couldn't hit a golf ball well. And it was just like a great lesson. He said it in less than 10 words. Yeah. Boom, right there. But that's the way my mom and dad kind of handled things. It wasn't long discussions. You want to you uh, go to these tournaments? You go earn the money. Definitely, definitely old school. <laughs> I do like that story. I have heard it before. I really like that story. But the the gratitude part as well that you kind of live your life with and um, the way you, you know, you, you become thankful for people giving you things that you didn't expect, such as your grandpa giving you that ride. And uh, by earning it, it's probably a little bit easier to 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 see the the gratitude and give the gratitude to other people who help you out. Well, you know, and you're totally correct on that. And one of the things, one of the last things I did at Oklahoma State, I built this short game green, had uh, former OSU players come in and help me design what they thought it ought to be. We we used an architect. We raised the money. We did, did a, it was a whole project. It took about five months, six months, and it was growing in that summer when I got let go. But I remember this, the the fall, no, hang on. Yeah, that's right. That's correct. Uh, but what we did was we had our guys lay the sod around the Bermuda sod around the deal. And just as a symbolic gesture mm-hmm. that they had something to do with the blood, sweat and tears of putting this short game to green together. And I learned that actually not that particular thing, not from my dad, but from Mike Holder when they built Karsten Creek on the very first day of the fall of 93, Bo Van Pelt as a freshman came in and he was part of a crew of 10 or 12 guys on the team who laid the entire the sod for the entire 18th fairway at mm, Karsten Creek. Yeah. And that was a symbolic gesture that you guys are part of this. Yeah. This is part of what you're doing. So, a couple, couple things come to mind there. First is like, how cool is that um, for you when you go back to Ponca City and when you think about the country club and your dad and stuff, you'll always think about how you earned it um, and that relationship you had with him at the club. And like these kids that you're talking about at Oklahoma State who laid the sod around the the short game green and also the 18th green, you always feel like you have a part of it. Um, and the second thought is I watched a documentary one time on Eliud Kipchoge. He's the, I'm not sure if he's the marathon world record holder, but he's definitely the first guy to break two hours, but it was set up in a way where he had pacers the entire way and that kind of stuff. Um, and he trains with a group of other runners up in the mountains in Kenya, and nothing is fancy at all. They make their own food. Everybody, like, sweeps the floor, like, cleans up. Even Elliot Kipchoge, who's a multimillionaire from running, a long-running career and being the best marathoner in the world. I think he's lost two marathons in his entire career. And what they do as well is they plant trees and so when you're adopted into the group, the running group, they plant a tree outside this like cabin lodge thing that they stay in up in the altitude where they train and the tree grows. And so the oldest members of the group obviously have the bigger trees, but even past members have trees from the past and it's kind of growing as, wow. a, as a fence around the whole lodge, which is pretty cool. That's kind of a way of, of earning it. 
I love that. Yeah. The New Zealand rugby team, the All Blacks, they've got something they call sweeping the sheds. And that's how they built a team culture around everybody. The most important guy, the captain, the coach, everybody is in charge at some point of sweeping, cleaning up the area. They call it sweeping the sheds. Yeah. You're never too big and you're never too great to appreciate what you've got. And I, I don't know, I always thought that was and a good you example. always earn part of it. Always yeah. earn some of it. And I think that was the, the entire process of what my parents created in 1971. One, it got them a good hand. So and they, you know they got a pretty dependable employee because I had to be dependable. But number two is it in the entire process just taught me ownership for my career. So if I was a tour player, I mean I would be a part of just about everything that I'm doing. I'm not just going to have everybody do it for me because this is I'm the CEO of the company. You know if I'm on a golf team in college, I mean I pretty much I'm invested in this and I want to do it the right way. And so I'm not afraid to work. So if I'm walking down in that locker room today down here where our guys are and there's a cup left on the table just because I'm the coach doesn't mean I can't pick up the cup mm-hmm. now I'm gonna have a pretty stern conversation with the kid who left it there because we all should leave things better than we found them but I took ownership of my golf career because I was the one earning it I was the one doing it and my dad and mom taught me that and honestly I never I never uh, took it for granted so that gratitude that ability to earn it learning or some responsibility. You don't have to take it to the degree my parents did and still teach the lesson. I think you can do it today. Yeah. No, um, it's a good message, Coach. Thank you for uh, sharing those thoughts. You know, I think you underlined that the world is different 50 years uh, later, but that's still a really cool story, and I think some of the things apply to junior golfers and parenting and, and everything today as well. And um, thanks for bringing up that that earning part of it has has great value. I definitely will take it home to to my family as a parent of a young child. So um, thanks for sharing that. Thank you to the listeners for uh, listening to another edition of our podcast, and uh, we'll be back next week. So we'll see you then. <laughs>